Greetings Rise from Stuck Warrior! Happy Tuesday! I have returned from my trip to the other side of the world and had a grand time in both Australia and New Zealand. I hope you had fun with the adventure challenges I left for you over the past two weeks. Not taking pictures and losing your phone may not be an adventure on the same scale as, say, saving the world, but these days, living without being attached to your phone is adventurous because it's so uncommon. I know the sense of freedom I found by intentionally separating from my phone has been, well, freeing. Alright, on to, day, to today's focus. This episode is the fourth in our Go to God series, and it's about how to ignite our rise when we are stuck in the midst of an identity crisis. One of the main reasons we get stuck is because we fail to own our God-given identities. It's easier to own the circumstantial identities thrust upon us rather than consciously identify with the role God put us here to play. In other words, it's easy to say you are your job, but when it comes to saying you're a writer, that's tough. It's hard to identify as a writer when that isn't your full-time profession. I mean, why do we feel we have to sell a certain number of books or earn a certain level of income before we can call ourselves writers? Why do we feel we have to achieve anything in order to see ourselves as the person God put us here to be? When we believe we have to achieve something before we can identify as our dream role in life, we get trapped in an identity crisis. We believe we are our job, but can't be a writer because writing isn't our job. Since we don't identify as a writer, we don't write and then get stuck. In scripture, we read of a woman trapped in an identity crisis. Her role was that of a queen of a pagan nation, and she owned that identity, the one of her circumstances, but she suppressed her true identity as a Jew. Then her people were on the verge of annihilation, and if she didn't own her true identity, she wouldn't be able to help them. But if she told her husband who she truly was, if she even approached him without an invitation, she risked death. Queen Esther was stuck. So what did she do to ignite her rise from stuck? You guessed it. She turned to God. In part four of our Go to God series, we're going to look at the importance of identity and how to go to God the way Esther did when we are stuck in an identity crisis. Let's get to it. It's time to rise from stuck with Bonnie Jean Schaefer, author, trainer, and servant of God. If you find yourself filled with big dreams but stuck in dreaming, learning, planning mode, too trapped by your fears, doubts, and excuses to take confident, consistent action, then this is the podcast for you. In it, we're going to build a foundation and framework for our lives that aligns with God and His desires for us and create systems that make action inevitable. We'll also let ourselves live adventurously along the way. This journey may be a bumpy ride, but as we learn to trust God, respect our strengths, and do the work our dreams require, we're going to build confidence, courage, and consistency in the pursuit of God and our dreams. So strap into God's Word, grab onto my hand, and let's rise from stuck together. All right, let's start with an explanation of my concept of an identity crisis, so you understand what I mean by that term. Then we'll look at Esther and her solution for her crisis. Finally, we'll focus on you and what you can do to rise from stuck if you're in the midst of your own crisis. The way I see it, an identity crisis occurs when the way we see ourselves is being challenged and changed. We get stuck and are unsure how to move forward when our circumstances show evidence for one reality, but a burning inner desire shapes a version ourselves that others don't expect or may not approve of. If we open our mouths and voice who we are or want to be, like telling people we want to be an author, we could get ridiculed, mocked, or derided. So instead of moving toward that version of ourselves that aligns with our writing dreams, we stay where we are, keep acting in accordance with the identity people expect, 
and do nothing to affirm our true desires. In short, when we fail to own the identity shaped by our dreams, we fail to take the necessary action to make those dreams come true. For example, I once had a burning desire to run a marathon. Although I identified as an athlete, I saw myself as a softball player and basketball player and volleyball player. That was my athletic identity. I didn't see myself as a runner, so I didn't run races. I ran to stay in shape. Then one day a thought occurred to me. Running a marathon was impossible. That thought triggered my competitive spirit, and I decided to conquer the impossible. Throughout those months of training, though, I never believed I was a runner. I was running. I was training. I was praying. I was doing the work. But the feeling of not belonging in the world of runners gnawed at me the entire time. I even had nightmares about all the ways I wasn't going to be able to achieve my goal because I didn't see myself as a runner. It wasn't until I crossed the finish line that I allowed my identity to shift. I started to believe I was a runner and that gave me permission to enter other races. I'm not a fast runner and I've won very few races, but that doesn't matter. I am still a runner. So I run. It's become part of my identity and the running I do is now a natural outpouring of my inner identity. But I got it backwards all those years ago. I didn't need to cross a finish line of any race to let myself own the identity of a runner. I became a runner long before that moment. I became a runner when I decided to do the work my dream of being a marathon runner required. I could have saved myself a lot of emotional turmoil had I just allowed myself to own that runner identity from the start. It's the same for you. You don't have to achieve anything to be a writer. You can simply decide to be a writer. Then the natural response of that new identity is to write. Now, Esther found herself stuck in a completely different kind of identity crisis. She owned the identity of the beautiful queen who had captured the king's attention. But about five years into her role as the queen, she was no longer a priority in the king's life. Now she was the forgotten queen, a queen who was hiding a secret. Then her cousin Mordecai makes a spectacle of himself by tearing his clothes, putting on sackcloth and ashes, and starts crying out loudly and bitterly in the middle of the city. Now, being the sensible woman that she was, she sent clothes for him to put on. He was drawing unnecessary attention to himself, and that nonsense needed to stop. What if her secret was somehow exposed because of his irrational actions? The message he relayed back to her in chapter 4, verses 6 through 9, initiated her identity crisis. So, Hathak, now forgive me if I don't pronounce these names right, this is just how I read it. So, Hathak went out to Mordecai in the city square in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him everything that had happened, as well as the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay the royal treasury for the slaughter of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa, ordering their destruction, so that Hathak might show it to Esther explain it to her, and command her to approach the king, implore his favor, and plead with him personally for her people. Hathak came and repeated Mordecai's response to Esther. Ha ha, so the challenge has been launched. Approach the king, implore his favor, and plead with him personally for her people. Her people. Esther's cousin was challenging her to own her identity as a Jew and then take it up a notch. Be a leader of her Jewish people and speak for them. But we see in verses 10 through 12 that she saw herself as the forgotten queen. She thus found herself stuck smack dab in the middle of an identity crisis. Esther spoke to Hathak and commanded him to tell Mordecai, All the royal officials and the people of the royal 
provinces know that one law applies to every man or woman who approaches the king in the inner courtyard and who has not been summoned, the death penalty, unless the king extends the gold scepter allowing that person to live. I have not been summoned to appear before the king for the last 30 days. Esther's response was reported to Mordecai. And Mordecai wasn't going to settle for her response or let her stay stuck. In 13 through 14, he says this. Mordecai told the messenger to reply to Esther. Don't think that you will escape the fate of all the Jews because you are in the king's palace. If you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will come to the Jewish people from another place. But you and your father's family will be destroyed. Who knows? Perhaps you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Ooh, talk about an inspiring speech. Perhaps you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. She doesn't have to be the forgotten queen anymore. She can be the leader, the voice of her people. She can be a bold queen, a courageous queen, a powerful queen. And she could have marched directly to the king in that moment. But to activate her rise, she didn't rely on one emotional speech from her cousin. She chose to first go to God. Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go and assemble all the Jews who can be found in Susa and fast for me. Don't eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my female servants will also fast in the same way. After that, I will go to the king, even if it is against the law. If I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went and did everything Esther had commanded him. So for three days, she and her people would fast and pray and seek the mercy and intercession of God. Now, I'm kind of bummed that we don't have any details about the actual words she prayed during those three days of fasting. I mean, the prayers of people throughout scripture are recorded for us, but not here. We thus can't model our prayers after hers, but we can model her actions. She set aside time to focus on seeking God. We don't have to fast for three days like she did, but we can set aside a block of time to pray for one specific thing. And we can recruit our family and friends to pray with us for that one specific thing at that one specific time. I imagine she prayed for strength and wisdom and mercy and courage. When she was going to do something she had never done before, she was going to have to see herself in a way she never had before. Her quest to save her people would have to start with an internal quest to own her Jewish identity and to speak up as their leader. And when those three days ended, she emerged as a different woman. She strode into that throne room with the confidence of a bold queen, as we see in chapter 5. On the third day, Esther dressed in her royal clothing and stood in the inner courtyard of the palace facing it. The king was sitting on his royal throne in the royal courtroom facing its entrance. As soon as the king saw Queen Esther standing in the courtyard, she gained favor in his eyes. The king extended the gold scepter in his hand toward Esther, and she approached and touched the tip of the scepter. She was back in the king's favor as she owned her newfound identity in a masterful way. She then treated the king to a feast and dropped her bombshell at feast number two. God used her to save his people, but if she had chosen to remain stuck and make excuses and cower in fear of the what if, she would never have learned what's possible with God. She would never have transformed her identity and become the leader God knew she was capable of becoming. What about you? What identity are you living and adopting because of your circumstances? What identity are you hiding because you're worried people won't understand you? Go to God. Set aside an hour to talk to God about who you want to be and ask him to show you how to own that identity. 
Esther owned her identity by preparing several meals and choosing her words wisely. I owned my running identity by running and giving myself permission to be a runner, even though I'm not anywhere close to being a good runner who wins lots of races. Who are you? What one thing can you do to start to bring that identity to life? Head on over to the Facebook group and share your answers after you go to God. If this episode inspired you, challenged you, or taught you something, the best way you can thank me is by leaving a written review on Apple Podcasts. Not only will it help you know what you're thinking, but it will also help others on a quest to rise from stuff to discover the show. After you leave that review, I challenge you to go do one thing that will take you closer to God and your dreams today.